0: You are listening to an RPA Production, where people gather. Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present... Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail, and I have got a stinker for you. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and bring back I watch 'em so you don't have to, but before we get into the movie, I have a couple of announcements that I would like to make. So, I announced a new book that I wrote called Orion on this very podcast, and uh, I asked people to go ahead and give it support on Kindle Scout. Well... Funny thing is, Kindle Scout is a uh, closing shop, so they kind of announced uh, that they were closing shop right in the middle of that campaign. Uh, so, needless to say, that it did not get selected. It doesn't look like they're actually like selecting any books for publication because of them, uh, closing their doors, uh, which is totally fine. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get that book out in the world anyways. And, uh, because I told you that you could get it for free, I'm still going to let people get it for free. So it's going to be free download on Amazon. And, uh, that's May 20th through 23rd. I'll probably kind of you know pop back in my own podcast here the the actual week of the the free download or maybe the week before just to remind people about that free download uh but yeah so it's going to be a free download uh also I have gotten some request from some listeners to uh start reading Orion on this show and so I'm happy to go ahead and do so so I think what I want to do uh not to ignore tuners but I think what I want to do is is go ahead and, and read every other episode. A chapter of Orion one episode, and then a chapter of Tuners the next. That way, for those of you that are digging Tuners and still want to see how that kind of pans out, we're going to keep reading Tuners. And then uh, for those of you that are like, Orion, I need to hear more Orion. Well, you're going to get that too. And then maybe if they're short chapters... I can go ahead and get to both in one episode, so we'll see how long the chapters are, uh, you know, before we make any decisions on what goes on what, but I'll make sure that I give them both some equal time. Uh, with that, I'm going to read the very first chapter of, uh, Orion today for my reading, so, uh, look forward to that after the movie critique. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and reread it because, uh, you know, the first time I came on to read Orion, I was sick. I don't know if you heard that episode, but man, my my voice was just like, Wah. you know, it sounded like, 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 beware. So I, I uh, <laughs> just want to go ahead and reread it that again. Uh, also, just to let you know. I have a producer who's an amazing voice acting talent, who's actually doing the professional audio book of Orion. So yes, Orion's gonna be an audio book, uh, and the narrator is like, you know, 20 times more talented than I am. Uh, and I in- encourage you, if you like the story, Uh, go seek out the audiobook. Uh, That should be out any time now. I'll announce it on the podcast. Uh, By the way, you're like, hey, you've got a podcast. Why don't you just play the audiobook? I mean, it's your book. I totally would love to, but, you know, it's going to be on Audible, and it's going to be on Amazon, and it's going to be on iTunes, and for uh, just the pleasure of being on those uh, particular places, uh, I am you know, not going to be able to play it anywhere else. So it's going to be exclusive to Audible, Amazon, and iTunes only. So, you know, I am giving up the ability to do the fully produced professional one on this podcast. But there's nothing to be said. I just can't read the darn book myself for you. So I'm still going to read it on this show, but I also just wanted to let you know, that there is going to be a version out there of it with an amazing voice actor and uh that would be uh there would be places to get it and there's also ways to get it for free. Uh, Audible has like a a free download if you sign up for their subscription service. So nothing says that you can't get the free download and and quit the subscription service if uh <laughs> you don't want it, you know. So uh there's a way to get the audiobook for free too. Uh just saying. Not encouraging anything, I'm just saying that they're the ones that are offering the free credit. So, anyways, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and get into our movie review. So, let's now enter the bleak, dark, creepy, kind of dumb, in fact. Sort of boring. I don't even know why I watched it. I just, you know, I I just saw this and was like, yeah, yeah, that could be interesting. Uh, Maybe I will watch it. The World of 2307. So 2307. Literally, that's the name of the movie. It's uh, 2307, colon, Winter's Dream. Let me go ahead and read you the Netflix description of this movie. In the frozen tundra of futuristic Arizona, where humans have been forced underground, a soldier hunts the bioengineered leader of a rebellion. You're like, what? That doesn't even sound like a horror movie, Aaron. Why are you talking about it? It sounds like completely sci-fi. Well... Yes, it is very, very much more science fiction than horror, but it's it's kind of a dystopian uh, post-apocalyptic movie, which I definitely consider, you know, dystopian post-apocalyptic movies kind of under the, the horror uh, genre. In fact, I would say that there's a lot of movies that are, you know, very much... In the realm of science fiction, but also our horror movies like Alien, the first Alien. I mean, yeah, that's a, a science fiction movie about an alien, like like you know, tearing apart people. Uh, but I'd also consider it a horror movie because it's it it has those elements to it, and I think you know dystopian movies also have the elements of horror because I think you know when you think about it. Uh, Horror comes in in many different forms. So, why is this a movie that I'm watching so you don't have to? Uh, Because it just wasn't that good. I mean... Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. The the, the Let's start with the main actor. The main actor was really hard to get into because, you know, when they first encounter him, he's like, you know, at some i don't know what it is drugged in bar or something like that like like drinking slash drugging i'm not sure what he's doing there uh his sorrows away and 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 trying to forget his past and the problem is is like when that actor has a full set of hair and and beard so he had this really long beard and a full set of long hair and 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 he looks like Hagrid, like like from Harry Potter, you know. I I swear, like the main actor, and, and like like if you know they wanted him to play Hagrid, I bet no one would have noticed. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's really hard to take him seriously when I'm thinking, hello, Harry, you know, what uh, what what? Hello, Harry, I I got a dragon here in the back, you know. Uh, so I I I. Uh, yeah, it was kind of hard to take those scenes seriously when I when I'm thinking he just really looks like Hagrid, you know, like, like he like maybe if you want to see it just for that scene, like it's right in the beginning, it's kind of funny. Just think Harry Potter, and then you might not be able to just do anything but giggle during that moment. So, anyways, it starts off kind of to a bad foot, and then it gets kind of worse in the sense that there's this scene where you know they're they're talking about the mission go find out this, uh, genetically engineered people. So anyways, it's really cold. It's not really quite clear why it's really cold outside. Like people screwed up the atmosphere or something like that. And, you know, people have to live underground and, and it's super cold out there. And in order to get any work done above ground, uh, they genetically engineer these, uh, humanoids and those people can go live on the surface and work on the surface. Uh, So anyways, there's one that escapes, and, you know, he's starting his own little workers' rebellion, and so they uh, need to go ahead and and, uh, destroy him, and that's why they get the main character out of his drug-induced haze, because he's, like, the best at what he does. And then it kind of goes downhill from there. So one of the big things that they set up in the movie is that they only have a finite amount of time on the surface. So it's like, it's so cold that they will die, uh, because, you know, they just can't live up there, and then when they finally get to the surface, there's, like, a bunch of other people, like, living up there, like, they meet this one guy who, you know, has been hanging out in, like, the dead zone where energy weapons don't work, I don't, don't get into that, and then, you know, like, like, wait a second, you just established that it's too cold for people to live, yet there's people living out there, you know, like, like, decide you know is it either too cold or just maybe too hard i like i don't know but you know don't set up one expectation and then uh just sort of you know for con- plot's sake it let's can let's make it very convenient that there's this other human just living out there and then on top of that uh it seems like there's like a forest and maybe even possible animals and you know it's like well wait if it's too cold for humans to survive, then wouldn't the animals not okay? Yeah, let's let's just ignore that too. So, uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, it becomes this sort of uh, like possible. Well, it, it becomes a narrative about uh, you know people enslaving this other group of people so it's like you know you genetically modify these these people to do work for you and so they're slaves and then you make sure they're sterile but then they start having the ability to have kids and that's a threat to your society and so you want to take them out and blah blah blah. it becomes like this sort of high-minded sort of moral thing which is fine you know I, i i don't mind themes like that that's great but they really hit you over the head with it you know what i mean like like a lot of movies that have a message to them when they're done well they don't necessarily like like take a book and like (laughs) like like pound you in the face with it you know like like when there's a more moral to the story it's not necessarily like spelled out it's sort of like you think oh yeah that must be what it is uh, by the actions of the character and this is like really spelled out all the way to the point where like there's this weird character that's, like, reading, uh, Mein Kampf, which is, like, Hitler's book, and is, like, Hitler was a prophet, and, you know, you're, like, whoa, okay, wait, this has suddenly got really scary, you know, like, like, (laughs) like, this lady is suddenly going off about how she really likes Hitler, and you're just, like, I suddenly have no (laughs) sympathy at all, and, and, What's really weird is that also seems really wedged in there too, because that character you know that is like like really like way into Hitler, she just kind of dies randomly, you know like like you find out she likes Hitler and then she later dies after conveniently killing that guy that is the one that is surviving on the surface and 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 causing trouble for our hero and and that's it like like it's just a weird thing to throw in there like why not just like leave Hitler out of it you know (laughs) you already got the weird oppressive society do you really need someone else to like like come in making your audience incredibly uncomfortable like 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 I'm, I'm guessing the filmmaker doesn't like Hitler but from the way that one character was talking about it is, like, you know, the filmmaker a secret admirer of Hitler? Like, kind of scary, kind of creepy when you think about it, you know? Like, 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 what would a secret admirer of Hitler do? Would he write little Hitler love notes or something? Uh, a- a- anyways, uh, <laughs> not a movie I'd recommend. So, uh, yeah, don't go see that movie. <laughs> uh Yeah, I guess that's about it. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and get to Orion next. All right, thanks. Life One. The story of the first time I died was rather unremarkable, though necessary to understand what happened. It was a gloomy, overcast day, and I was a Roman soldier. I waited on the front lines in anticipation of the vast horde of snarling barbarians in the distance. The air was damp and smelled of fresh rain, a horrid smell when combined with the bloodshed and bowel movements from the battle to come. My fellow soldiers were not much older than me, and I could see the fear in their eyes. I tensed my face in the meanest expression I could. In hindsight, I probably looked like I was just as afraid as the rest of them. Even though I'd only seen 17 winters, I was ready to prove myself in the art of war and win glory for the Roman Empire. It didn't matter that I could barely lift a sword or that my shoulders slouched from the weight of my armor. I was ready to die. However, I wasn't planning on dying before the armies assembled on the field. I had been head stable boy and mucked for the finest steeds in all the land, and I was proud to scrape horse poo. I was a lower-class aqueduct worker's son who was now an essential part of the entourage of the great Aurelius. I take myself way too seriously back then. I was glad I got more than seventeen winters of life. I would have been an unsufferable little snot otherwise. I shudder to think of what drivel that version of myself would say if he had access to my Twitter account. But the sense of duty and honor I felt back then was precisely how Aurelicus suckered me into fighting on the front line in a battle where the Romans almost were guaranteed to lose. It all started on his tent in the eve of war. The old coot beckoned me forward. Aurelius was a crusty fellow with white Roman curls. His robes were the finest in all of Rome. They were woven with gold and encrusted with jewels. Women who could have been his granddaughter surrounded him, and most of them were wearing next to nothing. They peeled his grapes, fanned him with a palm branch, and even poured his wine. I felt intimidated at the time because he had the presence of a god, and here I was, a lowly stable boy. He bellowed across the tent, Orion, come forth. Oh yeah, quick note. My name is Orion, or at least that was the name for my friend first life. I had others after that, almost too many to count, but Orion was the one I liked the best. On with the story. I walked up to the raised platform, where Aurelicus looked down at me with stern, hollow eyes. Master? I sputtered. Orion, the hour is late, and I imagine you're wondering why I have called you from the stables, Aurelicus began. I didn't know what to say. I'd never been in the tent before, much less heard more than two words directed at me from a relicus. My discomfort didn't seem to stop him. Orion, my boy, we're living in grave times indeed. The Barbarians are at the doorsteps of Rome and tomorrow might be where the might and the glory of the Roman Empire will be tested. My liege will pass this test and defeat the Barbarians. That is what Romans always have done. That is what we always do. I said, again I took myself way too seriously back then. Aurelicus laughed, oh my boy, if it were only that simple. Do you know how I got all this? He gestured to the tent full of riches and women, attending his every need. Uh, strength in combat and victory in battle? I said, that's part of it, the other part is wits. You can defeat ten men in battle, but it only takes one doubt with you, remember that. Your wits are how you'll survive. He then bestowed on me the rank of infantrymen and gave some speech about the glory of the Roman Empire. It brought a tear to my eye in my first life, but I skipped it for this retelling, mainly because it makes me barf a little time I hear it. How naive I was to think that the greatest general in the world would see me, the poop cleaner, as a warrior. In reality, he was adding padding to the front line, so his real warriors wouldn't die in the first wave. I didn't know what cannon fodder was back then, but there I was, excited to be first class cannon fodder Band the Infantry Meat Shield. A toothless man in shabby clothes took me away to get fitted for my armor and weapons. The armor was a joke. It was taken off the back of a dead infantryman, the keyword being man. I was a teenager who was a little small for my age bracket, and the armor made me feel like I was being crushed into the earth. The toothless man saw my dress and said, it gets easier the longer you wear it. It's a shame I only got to wear it one day. After I was fitted for my armor, he brought me over to the weapons tent and shoved a sword in my hand. It was too heavy to lift and it clunked on the ground. I tried to ask for a smaller one, but he was already shuffling me out the door directing towards the soldiers' tents. I dragged my sword in the mud, even though I had to take several breaks to heave with exhaustion and throw up. Until finally I made it to a group of soldiers sitting around a fire. They were singing jaunty war songs, drinking, making merry. I attempted to insert myself around the fire with them, but they made sure to close the gaps and, and the seating arrangement. Dejected and alone, I dragged my sword to a tree that was overlooking a nearby creek. I shed my armor, splashed my face with water, and drank. Afterwards I sat under the tree and looked up at the moonlight poking through the branches just before i drifted off to sleep i had a vision of my. Life. i was older and concentrating very hard my hair was cut but in a very odd hairstyle for my roman sensibilities i can only describe it as a wave of black water that had crashed on the side of my head and lapped gently on my ear as if the side of my face was a rocky outcropping a woman stuck up behind me and kissed my cheek she was the most beautiful person i had ever seen her eyes were deep blue and sparkled like cracked crystal. Her hair was golden like the rays of the sun. It was her face that falled me into a deep sense of relaxation and I was able to drift off into a deep, content slumber. Also, did I mention it rained? Fuck it, nature. The next day, I faced my immediate horrible death from a horde of snarling, angry barbarians. I was in a line of servants and squires and stable boys who had been called to battle. Behind us were the real infantrymen. They were locked into a tortoise shell configuration while only about half my unit had shields. In fact, some of my guys only had shields. The army across the way were large men in hide furs with battle axes. They had painted themselves with blood and were screaming battle cries. The two armies faced each other at the confluence of the rivers Tiber and Elia, about 11 miles north of Rome. It was a scenic area and quite serene when the ground was not soaked with the blood of fallen soldiers. When Aurelius shouted the orders to attack, I raced towards the horde. However, my armor and sword slowed me down, the blade dragging behind me in the dirt. So what was a race for most was sort of a fast shuffle for me. My unit clashed with the barbarians a full thirty seconds before I made it to battle. For a brief moment, I was in a spot where I got to watch barbarians hack to shreds The people had been standing to me seconds before, and behind me was this tight tortoiseshell of shields and spears marching towards the broken line of barbarians. For maybe a second or two I thought I could survive. Maybe my fellow Roman soldiers would open a hole large enough for me to fit through and I could hold a spear instead. My dreams were shattered when I saw an angry man with wild eyes break free from the battle ahead and rush towards me. He gripped a double-bladed axe the size of a horse's ass above his head with one hand. The man was undoubtedly the inspiration for the Titans from the Greek myths. His eyes bugged out as he charged, and I lifted my sword with all my might, and then, just as he was on top of me, by some miracle, I was able to raise my sword high enough to block the weapon swinging at my head. The sword deflected the blow to my right shoulder blade. The axe cut through most of my muscle and bone. I collapsed to the ground in fear and pain and tried to futilely reattach my arm. It was a weird thing to do when dying. Like if I could just pop it back into place, all would be better and I could go back to mucking. The barbarian didn't even slow down after he wounded me. He went right by and presumably was killed by the tortoiseshell infantry, which passed overhead moments later. I remember taking it aback by their complete lack of regard for their fallen comrade. They trampled me stepping on my face, chest, and even the arm stump. I spent the rest of the battle bleeding out from the wound. Eventually the pain receded as my body went numb. During that time, I gazed at the clouds overhead. They were the gorgeous wispy white puffs that made the sky look like a grand tapestry. It was a beautiful day. Strangely, I wasn't sad or angry. I, I was just dying. I felt proud that I had given my life to the Roman Empire. I wept not in tears of regret, but with joy. I was such a sap back then. For most people, that would be it. Fade out, rule credits, this was your life. For me, it was just the beginning to figure out who or what I really was. And while I didn't think about my first life too much, there was one point that I should have understood sooner. Most people think that when a soldier dies in the battlefield, honored to have sacrificed himself for the country, that's it. They drift off into the netherworld. But the reality is that dying is a long, drawn-out, painful process. When I finally came to terms with my death, it wasn't over. I bled, then bled, and then bled some more. I must have been close to drowning in a pool of blood when I finally saw another human. At that point, I was delirious and drifting in and out of consciousness. I can no longer tell you as a part of the Roman Empire, or proud to be dying, for it, for that matter. I was moments away from my final breath, which was labored and intense, even though I was too numb to feel it. That's when another teenager, about my age, with a mop of dirty blonde hair and a wry smile, stood over my soon-to-be corpse. I didn't know his name at the time, so for the purpose of this narrative, I'm going to call him Stabby for what he did next. He pulled out a long, thin dagger from his belt and looked me in the eye and said, Sorry, bro. He poked the dagger right through my eye socket into my skull and then I was dead. The weird part was not that somebody had come to kill me, that's a very typical post-battlefield job, arguably worse than cannon fodder. Stabby had to poke the skull of all the people that were writhing in pain waiting to die at the end of battle. Medical attention sucked back then, literally, leeches were like the number one treatment for just about anything. So it was better just to kill all the wounded, or at least the ones too injured to stand on their own. The weird part was that Stabby had said, Sorry bro, like, I didn't know this at the time, but bro, wasn't exactly in the Roman dictionary. Strange final words for a person to hear who gave their life for the glory of the Roman Empire. we're running out of time here so i just want to go ahead and thank you for listening and to let you know that real paranormal activity is on mondays i'm on tuesdays terry's mysterious moment is on wednesdays and the sandman's lullaby will come to a podcast near you thank you and good night